All right. Good morning, everybody. I've never sat down and preached or taught. I'd have a hard time with it. But uh, anyway, you don't mind if I stand, do you? Good. Good deal. I'm going to stand anyway. I just like to be polite. You know what I mean? So anyway. Well, it's good to be able to come and preach and teach. I wish it was under different circumstances, needless to say, but Justin sent me a message. He actually sent me a text message first, but it was really early in the morning, and I was asleep, and I didn't get that. But then I guess he was getting nervous, so he called me, and I could just really sense the pain in his voice. And so he reluctantly decided to make go to the emergency room because he's still having some complications from his uh, from his gallbladder surgery. And, and, and you know, he had Justin. He, he, he doesn't share. He shares everything but his personal physical needs, you know what I mean? So he's, he's kind of kept that at bay a little bit, but he's really been struggling with it for the past couple weeks. So y'all keep him in prayer, and uh, next time we get to him, we need to lay hands on him and ask for healing for sure. But um, So I think he's right now kind of relying on the doctors to give him some answers, hopefully today. But he's in the emergency room, so he probably won't get too many answers, but he will. they will, by all means, keep him alive. Yes. I don't know. I didn't. I don't know which hospital he's in. I have no idea. You would think I would. I would know that. He didn't even tell me that. He just says, uh, "Okay, can you cover for me?" So even in the midst of pain, he's making sure that we're covered this morning. And I'm glad to be able to be here and be able to share with you um, what we've got, what the Lord's got on my heart. And if you got your Bibles ready, I've got all kinds of scriptures we're going to be going to. So you'll be thankful for cell phones. Uh, that you can just go quickly because I've got a lot of different scriptures we're going to talk about. But I am going to talk about a very important topic. And it's, it's de- well, I'll give you kind of the title. Does God heal our hurts and how do we apply biblical truth to trials? You know, like we were talking about earlier about having hurts. I mean, hurts, uh, we do, all of us deal with physical hurts. But all of us, and we can't always identify with some of the different physical hurts that we have. I mean, if you've never broke a bone, you don't understand what that's like. If you've never had cancer, you don't understand what that's like. I can't identify with that. But I can identify with having emotional hurts. And I don't care if you're in here, you've dealt with emotional hurts and you've dealt with pain and you've dealt with heartache, uh, no doubt. But each of us in this room this morning have developed a mental process over the years for dealing with pain and hurts that have been introduced into our life. It started way back maybe when you're a child. When pains and hurt is introduced to you, we, we have a, a process. We've developed a process of how do we deal with these pains and these hurts in our life. Each of our processes are unique to us because none of us have lived the same life. Think about that. You know what I mean? It, it, all of us have lived different lives. And each one of us, our life is unique to us like our fingerprints are unique to us. Our experiences are unique to us like our fingerprint is unique to us. And we've never lived the same life. And each of us, I believe, have developed our own unique process for how to deal. How do we deal with hurt and heartache and pain? Regardless of our individual experience in life, having the ability to process mentally the hurts and suffering in life must be coupled with biblical truth. And this is kind of where the, the rubber meets the road with us as believers. You know, we develop the process of how to deal with heartaches and pains and hurts, and then we get introduced to Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus Christ not only changes fundamentally who I am, uh, he's also beginning to change how I view this world and how I process the hurts and pains in this world. Now, one thing I've learned through ministry and ministering to people, the world is angry at God. Why is that? I mean, we look at God and we say, Father, thank you. I love you. Thank you so much for all that you've given. But if you've never been saved, you've never been regenerated, you have nothing to do but blame God for the hurts that are in the world. We look at this creation, and this creation is chaotic, and it's very painful. And if you're looking at a, a chaotic, uh, a hurtful creation, you have no, no choice but to blame who? The creator for why it's so hurtful, why it's so painful. But we as believers, what has changed with us, other than the fact that we've been born again, is the fact that we've got God's word to help, help change our paradigm, help view this world and see it for what it really is, and not have to blame God and be angry with God. Now, I will say this. There are times, even as a believer, I've been angry at God. i be honest with you. And if you say you haven't, I think you're not being honest. You've looked at a situation that says, God, if you just would have did this, none of this would have happened. All you had to do was just wink, and this whole situation could have been different. Has anybody ever been there before? I've been there. I may be there this afternoon. Who knows? (laughs) Christ said, truth makes free. And although we read, hear, memorize, and even quote this, we often fail to apply this in the mental processes of dealing with hurts. Now, the most commonly asked question that's asked by unbelievers and even believers alike is why do we have suffering? Why? Why did this happen? This child's only three years old. Why does this child have to deal with cancer? Why do these parents have to lose a child? Why do we have to deal with kids in Honduras, a country that is, has plenty of resources, has all the means to make sure their children stay fed? Why is it we in the United States have to facilitate resources to go to Honduras and, and feed and clothe and take care of? And by the way, we're more than happy that God opened that door for us to do it, but why? Why take a country like Africa that has all the resources that they need, why allow corruption to be what it is, to take advantage and exploit people and treat them like they're cattle? Why? Why look at just close to home? Why deal with all the murders? Every time you turn on the TV, somebody is getting killed over frivolous things. I've got a lady that I've been, I do work for. She works at an appliance company, and and I deal with her quite often. And it was just a couple of years ago, her son, he's, you know, he was in his 20s, stopped at a gas station, was going to go in, get something to drink, and come out. And, and in that process, somebody robbed him and shot him dead right there in the parking lot. And I had no idea that this was her son. I didn't find out till months and months later that that was her son that this happened to. But all of us, even believers, even though we know God is sovereign and God's got a plan... We even stop and say, God, why? Why do we have suffering? Why is that? The answer from Scripture, scripture, scripture what I find, it's, I hate to make it so simple, but it is simple. Why do we have suffering? Because we live on planet Earth. That's why. 
We live in a fallen world. Why is that? This is where we live for now. And, and when we're living on planet Earth, planet Earth stuff happens on a regular basis, doesn't it? Heartache and pain and suffering. It's because we live in this fallen world that was corrupted by sin. But thank God we have a hope, right? The Bible says that we know this is, this is not our home. Our home is somewhere beyond the what? Beyond the blue, right? And we know this is not where we're going to stay. But if you're not saved, you don't have that luxury of hope. Planet Earth and everything contained therein is ultimately the creation. And God is the creator. Now, don't miss this. If there's any nugget from any of this you're going to get, don't miss this. We often get disillusioned because we're trying to get life from the creation instead of the creator. That's where, if you don't get anything at all, don't miss that. If, you don't, if you're not connected to God through Jesus Christ, if you're not one with him, you have no choice but to try to find life in a corrupt, fallen system. And it's painful. And it'll deceive you. And it's corrupt. You know, when you think about anybody in Scripture that dealt with trials at a magnitude that really exceeds just about anybody's experience, you can't help but think about Job, can you? And it's, it's interesting, you know, Job's whole situation... And you get to the very end, and God kind of sets him straight, and he basically tells Job, he says, Listen, were you there when I created the foundation of the earth? Now, you enjoy it. You enjoy the sunrise and the sunsets, and you enjoy all the views, but it's about me. It's about the creator. You've got to know me. And, and at the end of the day, this, this, this trial and tragedy that entered into his life was, was a, a vehicle that changed Job's paradigm on who God really is and that God still loved him. And, we, of course, we know that God blessed him and he was blessed tenfold of what he had before. But at the end of the day, it's this. Does God heal our hurts and how do we apply a biblical truth to this? What does the Bible say to teach us about dealing with hurts? Number one is this. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and look, we'll look at verse 26. You were talking about gangs earlier, you know, about Honduras. And when I was in, we used to minister in Chicago. Our, the church that we were in was on the outskirts of Chicago. But we were, we were very often, most of our ministry was in very, very gang-ridden areas. And there used to be these, 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 uh, these uh, government housing called the Robert Taylor Homes. If, if you've ever watched the movie Candyman, those Robert Taylor homes were actually in the movie. You know what I mean? I was there while they were filming. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just making that up. But anyway, kind of getting a magnitude of how, how it, it, and, and it was just kind of crazy. But we would go and visit, and we would visit the kids, and we would pick them up on the bus. And I remember going to the front, and there would be a gang, I mean, a huge gang right out front. But we would have our shirts and ties, and they knew where we were from. We were from a church, and they they would... They, we were white boys in a very dark area, but they would, they would gladly let us come and go because they knew we were there trying to help. You know what I mean? I couldn't help but think about that. You know, but, 
And matter of fact, I'll have to tell this in a whole other situation. We were actually in an area visiting some kids, and, and we got shot. A friend of mine got shot in the head while we were out visiting. But, but anyway, I'll tell that story another time. I don't want to get too much into that. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. And you're like, what? Come on. Why are you going to leave me hanging like that? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll tell you the story another time. If I got time at the end, which I won't have time at the end, I'll tell you the story. But I'll at least leave you hanging until then. I will tell you this, he lived, okay? But I'll tell you, I have to take some time to kind of get my mind, you know, to kind of re, relive the events and everything. And it would apply well to this. And I came close to thinking about doing it, and the Lord may leave me later. But until now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Paul says, be ye angry. That's easy to do, isn't it? You know what I mean? Be angry, he says, but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. One does not have to live on planet Earth long to realize we are emotional beings, aren't we? We're very emotional. If you're a woman, then you're very, very, very emotional. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there we go. Hey, my help comes from the hills. Amen? God is not surprised about our emotions. And let's consider some of the common emotions that we are brought out through trials. You know, God made us. He's not surprised that we're emotional. For example, guilt. Guilt comes when we do things we know that are wrong, even as believers. We deal with guilt. Shame, the label we put on ourselves because of our actions. Or fear. Fear is very interesting. Fear can come by what's happening. Fear also comes by what could happen, what might happen, or what should have happened. You know what I mean? We will find something to be anxious and fearful about. Or just anger, being angry. You know, you can be angry as a believer. You should be angry about some things. There are some things that should make you angry. But the Bible says be angry... You can have emotion, but don't allow that to cause action and cause you to act out of that, which can very well often winds up in sin or even hurt. Hurt is introduced to us in multiple ways. Abuse, loss, sickness, or unmet expectations. Anybody ever had those? You know, at the end of the day, well, you know, I'll go there in a minute. The question remains is, are feelings good or bad, and what is the proper way to deal with feelings? Do we ignore them? Is that the best way to do it? Just ignore that you don't have any feelings? Right. All right, let's see here. Examples when we're wounded um, or, 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 or dealing, dealing with wounds. Let me ask you this. You hear this all the time. Does time heal, heal wounds? Does time, is that all you need? Well, you just need some time. I know, you, I know you lost them and it hurts, but just time will heal all that. You'll just, it'll be like it never happened. No, it doesn't. That's probably one of the biggest lies is the fact, well, just time, time will heal it. No, it does not. Does positive thinking heal wounds? Just think positive. You know what I mean? Just think, think positive about it and everything will be okay. It's just thinking positive heal it. No, it does not. Do we suppress them? 
When we start feeling things or uh, we start feeling things, we naturally start to get rid of those feelings and try to just get rid of those. Do we believe them? Do we believe the feelings? I don't miss this. Do feelings always indicate truth? No, they don't. I cannot tell you the number of believers. I try to tell them that you're righteous, you're holy. And they say, oh, that sounds so good, but I don't feel righteous, right? I don't feel holy. You're close to God. You're one with God. And they're like, man, that sounds good, but guess what? I don't feel like I'm one with God. Anybody been there before? It's just like watching a scary movie. I don't watch scary movies, by the way. I don't like them because I, I don't like to sleep at night. And I really... <laughs> But I remember watching scary movies, and I remember we were kids, and uh, I remember what we watched uh, Pet Cemetery, and I was just a little guy. We got about halfway into that thing, and I don't remember which scene it was, but I had to turn it off. And we used to live on an old farmhouse area down in South Texas, and I thought for sure some little kid with a scalpel was going to jump out of my closet at any moment. But here's the thing. I was completely freaked out and scared and paranoid. But was I truly in any danger? No, I was not. Because feelings in of themselves do not dictate truth. God dictates truth. Even though I may feel like things are out of control and I may feel like God's far away and I may feel like God's not in this situation, at the end of the day, those feelings in themselves are not wrong, but they also do not dictate what is really truth in our lives. God does that. Emotions are not good or bad, but indicators of thoughts ultimately that fill our minds. And man, they flood like a river, don't they? Man, we're always, our thoughts are always going. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry, but sin not. Feelings are not sin in of themselves. They're part of how we're created. Our job is not to judge the feelings, but we need to do the next thing, and that is this, commune with God about your feelings. Now, one thing I've noticed about me is I, you know, when, when I do get, you know, my, he- my heart's heavy with things, I kind of have my nights of the round table I usually call. You have those in your life? You call this person and you go... Hey, man, I had this situation happen. What are your thoughts on this? You know what I mean? There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, I think. But at the end of the day, we've got to learn that we've got dad to go to with this. We've got father we can talk to. These emotions run high. It's one thing to talk to a brother or sister or have them encourage you. But at the end of the day, commune to God because ultimately... Somebody with good intentions that's close to you can give you some advice and even try to help you, but can give you the wrong advice and can commune to you something that is opposite of what you need, but daddy's always going to give you exactly what you need. He's always going to be able to help you out. God knew we are going going to have struggles. We're going to struggle with fear, anxiety, and worry. That's why the Bible tells us to come to him in our emotional states of unrest. Now, we're going to go to a few scriptures here, right? Look at Philippians 4.6. Turn there real quick. Philippians 4.6 says, Be careful for nothing, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. This is Paul saying this. Now, Paul had some requests, but Paul also knew there's going to come times I'm going to request something to Father and it may not happen. Remember when he talked about having the thorn in the flesh? He said, I came to God several times. I pleaded with God to take this away from me. And, and he said, the Father says, my grace is what? Sufficient for thee. You know, you look at the early church, you look at even the disciples. You know what I mean? They were such a united bunch, weren't they? They got along so well. They were all on the same page. No, they were like, look, I don't care what you do. You minister over there. I'm a minister over here, and we're going to expect God's going to do something to this. Even they could not completely get along or weren't on the same page with everything. Why? Because they were very emotional, very heated, very directed about what they felt like Father wanted them to do, and they didn't always get along with each other. But here it says, look, bring your request to God. Let it be made known to Dad. Psalms 4.4, you don't have to turn turn there, but he says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Psalms 55.22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore I say unto you, and this is Jesus talking, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink. I've been trying to apply that to my health for years. You know what I mean? And it doesn't seem to be working. No, I'm just kidding. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body. For what ye shall put on, it is not, it is, is not life more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And, and, and ye are, and aren't ye not much more better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? You know, there's some things you can think about it and 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 think about it, and it ain't going to change, is it? You, or better yet, which one of you, by having... Ample amounts of anxiety are going to change the situation. You see, you can think and think and think and think and think, and it's not going to change. There are some things we just cannot change by sitting, fretting, and worrying about it, but we can go to Dad with it. Real Christians, believe this or not, struggle. Real Christians. You're like, what do you mean by real Christians? I'm talking about born-again believers. Struggle. You know, you think about ministry, for example, you, you know... Hopefully, like being in a pastor, an associate pastor, it, 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 being a, a pastor, an associate pastor, hopefully we're not just picked because we look like the ones that have less problems in their life. I hope I can have the luxury and the freedom to actually have a struggle in my life. And Justin can have a struggle in his life. But we can understand and see that it's, it, we're not our struggles or the things that we struggle with. We're, we're, we're what God made us to be. And we're born again to be. But real Christian struggle in our flesh is capable of anything. Just like our life experience, just like our flesh patterns that we have, and, and I'll get into talking more about this. You know, the big question is, well, I know I'm born, if I'm righteous and I'm holy, why do I still sin? I mean, that's a, that's a common question we go to time and time again. Each one of us have a flesh pattern. 
part of us that's not regenerated, that uh, old, old habits and old ways of, ways of thinking or well-traveled highways we're used to going to. And a lot of this is dictated by our old thought patterns and experience that we're used to going to. When this didn't work for me, I know I could always go to this and I could do this this way and get the results that I desire. I can make life happen type things, which is called flesh. It doesn't matter if the outcome looks sinful or exceedingly religious and righteous if it's done in the flesh. Me trying to just do it, make life happen myself, it's still the end result of sin. Paul said, Romans 14, whatever's not done in faith is what? Sin. That's mind-boggling to me. And lastly, is number this, find emotional healing through mental renewal. I'm not big about you know, steps, things we need to do, because I, I grew up in my Christian experience with that. But I believe there are some things that Paul taught that we need, to, we need to take heed to, things that we need to understand that as believers, or, or things that we can govern, you know what I mean, in our, in our Christian experience that we need to absorb and consume. But find emotional healing through mental renewal. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I got, I got a lot of verses, so I, I will have you maybe turn to one, but I'm going to read a couple to you. But Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Feelings are indicators of thoughts, and feelings are a byproduct of our thought pattern. They ultimately are. Let me say that again. Feelings are indicators of thoughts, and feelings are a byproduct of our thought pattern. The simple truth is we need new thoughts. We need new thoughts. That's what Paul's saying here. Renewing the mind, mental renovation, tearing it all out, starting over. And at the end, it's going to have something that's going to function for you. You know, I was thinking, I, I, I'll put this in my notes here. I mean, I'll get to that, but it's something personal to myself. But 2 Corinthians 3.14 says... He says, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Now think about this. Paul is saying here, he's telling the Corinthians, that veil is still over those that are leaning upon or trying to live out in the Old Covenant. They're blinded. Remember we had that question, why are people stuck on this? Well, because they're blinded, because they're relying on the old covenant. And when Jesus came, the veil was rent in twain. And now you look, that's why when I, when I began to understand my identity in Christ, now it's like the Bible came alive. It was like, what? Did, did, this has been here the whole time? Why did Bible college and ministry and what, past, what why have I not seen this? I've lost it. And other people, they concurred. They says, yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> i got to share this. i got to get this out. Man, let me tell you about this. Oh, no. There ain't no way. You're talking. That's crazy talk. Anybody been there before? 
2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest, now, when he says the God, he's not talking about God. He's not talking about Daddy. He's talking about Satan. He said, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You know, the issues that we're having in this world, you know what I mean, locally, nationally, just globally, is not because people are sinning more because somebody's not telling them about their sin. Well, people are sinning because they don't, they need to be, we need to preach against sin more. That's the problem. They just don't know they're sinning. That's the problem. We need to just tell them they're sinning. That's the, that's the issue. No, they need the gospel. And the last time I checked, the gospel meant good news. It's not a warning. You know what I mean? It's not sin modification. It's not, it's not our ability to tell people what they're doing wrong. It's about sharing with them what God got right, which is salvation. He got it right. And you can put all your way, you can go all in. And you can lean fully on that thing. 2 Corinthians 2.11.3 says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve, through his subtility, he says, So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is found in Christ. My, are we not there today? Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 6.5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that, listen to this, that gain is godliness. That gain is godliness. You know, we live in a time now that the only thing that can quantify the move of God in people's mind is how many people show up to their building on Sunday. Think about that. Let's knock the walls out. We've got to grow this thing. Why? Because such and such Baptist church down the road is twice our size, and, and God must be moving in them, so we need to grow this thing. We need to get going and get growing. Are you, you know what I mean? Are you with me here? That somehow the proof of God's move is in gain, whether it be in numbers, whether it be in money, whether it be whatever. But here he says, for such withdraw thyself. Hebrews 10, 16, I love Hebrews. This is the covenant that I'll make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. That's where we are today. And the old covenant law was always without trying to be forced in. But now the new covenant is that God's laws and God's hearts within and now we're living it out. The very direct opposite of that. Hebrews 12.3 says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against themselves, lest we be wearied and faint in your minds. We're talking about mental renewal. We're talking about changing our thought process. We're talking about understanding and adopting truth and allowing that truth to make free like Jesus promised. 2 Peter 3.1 says, this, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir your pure minds by the way of remembrance. And that's what the Spirit of God does for us too. He's constantly reminding us. 
He's not the spiritual referee throwing the flags every time we do wrong. He's gently leading us, reminding us who we are and that God and Jesus' promises are still pure and they're still true and they're still true today. Well, you don't know what I did yesterday. And the Holy Spirit says, it don't matter what you do yesterday. Not only is it under the blood, amen, it's completely gone. You know, I got into a biblical argument one time with a brother in Christ about that. You know the old song, you know what I mean? You know, your, your sins being under the blood. I said, no, our sins are gone. He said, oh, no, brother, they're under the blood. I said, look, they, your sins might be under the blood, but according to what the Bible tells me, they're gone, justified, just as if it never happened at all. Amen? And I thought, why am I arguing such stu- Why am I arguing with this? You know what I mean? I'm just going to live from it. Truth makes free and lies will what? They'll bind. And man, I was bound up. And I'm sure there's still things in me that I'm still kind of bound up in with lies that I've trusted and adopted. But slowly the Lord's breaking those ties and breaking those chains. Lies will bind and corrupt. Therefore, we must lay hold on truth. You know, another thing too about thoughts. We must understand how the enemy works when it comes to our thoughts. Go to 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see this. When I understood this, man, it really helped me to understand um, my identity and understand how the devil works, <clears throat> especially when it comes to thoughts, getting new thoughts, how lies get introduced to us and what, what they do when we believe them. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. Now, notice what Paul, Paul says here. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the what? The knowledge of God. He says, and bringing into captivity every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, now here Paul is talking about spiritual warfare, isn't he? And he's also talking about what we're equipped to deal with spiritual warfare. Now, I used to look at this, and I would always ask the same question. How? How am I going to do this? You know what I mean? How do I, you know, how, 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 how is this going to, how can I bring God? How can I bring every thought into captivity? And how, you know, but at the end of the day, that's the wrong question. The right question is why? Why? Why do I need to take thought into thought? Why do I need to take time to filter thoughts that are introduced to me. It's because of this. Not every thought is your own thought. Think about that. So here I'd be living, going throughout my day, and then bam, you get some crazy thought coming to your head. And you're like, oh, Lord Jesus, where did this come from? Why am I thinking this? You know what I mean? What? Oh, man, I'm so wicked. Why? Has anybody ever been there before? You know what I mean? Why in the world? Why is this in my? And then, and then I, I, it's a, it's an evil thought or a wicked thought, and now I'm crucifying myself over a thought that was never mine to begin with. You see what I mean? And that's how the enemy's. That's how he works. He comes and he introduces thoughts to you, and then he tags them to you, and you think they're your own, and now you're trying to confess. Things that wouldn't even belong to you. And got your whole game mixed up, messed up. You see what I mean? And Paul says, listen, you need to understand that we live in a very messed up world. 
And there are spiritual, there are spiritual forces at play. He goes in, it talks about a spiritual army, rank and file, demons, all this stuff. And the enemy knows how to get at us. He can't take what belongs to God, but what he can do is send things our way and throw them fiery darts at us to erode at not our, notice he didn't say our obedience, the obedience of who? Obedience of Christ. Think about that. If it, it, look, if my righteousness and sanctification hinge on my obedience, I would be as hopeless and helpless as you are. Don't even lie. I'm not here proclaiming my obedience. I'm not here to proclaim to you how great I've been, how good a guy that I am. I'm here to proclaim to you I've got a great God that has an awesome son that he, as, as, Philippians, as Paul said to Philippians, that he was obedient even unto what? Death. That he saw this thing through. And then it, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, as the old hymn says. It's his obedience. But man, that devil likes to throw darts at us, mess us up. So you ever think about this? You know, I never thought about that. Well, what about this? You know what I mean? And then next thing you know, anyway, I think I made my point. As we continue to the mental renewal process, we begin to shed lies and error that corrupted our thought lives. Input, process it, and then output. Now, some false beliefs that I think even yet are unique to us as believers are some of these that I've had to understand as well is this, everybody should like me. You know what I mean? Everybody should like me. As, as Christians, somehow that, we think that, that just being a Christian, you just got to be nice to everybody all the time. And that's, that's you know, I, I think we should be nice. I don't think we should be jerks. But at the end of the day, not everybody's going to like you, and that's okay. You know what I mean? That's okay. Now, some of you, you, you that ship sailed for you a long time ago, and you don't bother <laughs> you at all. But there's some of you in here, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you enjoy making people mad. You know what I mean? You like me? Hey, you're not going to like me for long. Trust me. There used to be a bumper sticker I saw. It says, yeah, Jesus may love you, but everybody else thinks you're a jerk. (laughs) Another false belief is my life will always be great. Come to Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. Amen. In the health, wealth, and prosperity, and the in the gain gospels that we're surrounded with, you know, it, it's you know Jesus is the recipe. You know what I mean? He's the, he's he's that sauce that's missing, and you just ply him, and you know your finances will always be great, and your relationships will always be good, and your church will always going to grow, and you'll never have any issues, you'll never have any problems. And some people buy into that, and they get down the road and they're like, I'm having problems. It must be my fault. You know what I'm saying? It's me. There's something wrong with me. And then you buy into a lie. And the idea is, man, we live in a corrupt world, in a fallen world, and planet Earth stuff happens all the time. I like how Jesus put it. He said, he said that, uh, he says, in the world you'll have, you'll have tribulations. He says, but be of good cheer. He says, I've overcome the world. He was saying, and I think this is a, a common mistake that we often make going back, trying to get life from the creation instead of under, getting life from the creator. 
is we, we go to God and we want God to manipulate circumstances. And we say, God, I, I don't like this circumstance. Change this circumstance. Because we crave peace, don't we? We want peace. And we're, and we're, 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 we're banking on getting that peace from the right circumstances we want instead of getting it from the very person of Jesus Christ. You see what I mean? God, change the circumstance. I want peace. I need peace. So change this circumstance. If this circumstance was different, I could have the peace that I desire. And Jesus says, listen, if you're depending on peace from circumstance, then you're, look, you're barking up the wrong tree. He says, but you can come to me and find peace in the midst of what? Circumstance. In the midst of it, you can find yourself in the prison singing in very bad circumstances and find that peace that made the guards say, what is up with these guys here? Some other false beliefs is my spouse is supposed to complete us. You know, your spouse completes you. You know what I mean? (laughs) Think about that one. You know what I mean? If anything, I want to be complete to help my spouse. You know what I mean? My children are perfect. Amen? My kids are perfect. You know, I'm just going to go on here. But real Christians never struggle. Yep, real Christians, we don't struggle. We don't have any. Well, you know, you can speed every now and then. But you can't have any real problems. You know what I mean? You know, you, 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 know you, you can have minor problems, but you can't have any real problems. You know what I mean? Because real Christians, we don't struggle. Or here's a very common one. I think this hits home to everybody. Is I can make life work. I can make this. I can do this. What is the answer? Mental renewal through the lens of truth. Ask what false belief system have I bought into that keeps me keeps bringing me disappointment. And, you know, often when I found myself upset with dad and upset with father, and, 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 and it was because he didn't meet an expectation I thought he should have met. You see what I mean? I thought God, I thought dad should have changed the circumstances, and, and I had an expectation that I thought he was going to meet and should have met, but he didn't meet it the way I thought he should have. And then disappointment comes. You know, another thing too I was thinking, you know, recently, you ever notice how, you know, we're just never never satisfied. You know, projects never get, you know, we're never done. You know, I want to do this project in my house. You know, if I can go ahead and paint these, you know, paint these cabinets and change this, then life's going to be great. And then you do that. And you're like, you know what? I need flooring. If I can go ahead and do the flooring and get this, then life's going to be great. And, man, then we get busy, and, man, we get that done, and you're like, you know what? This looks great, but you know what? I don't like the paint colors. And if I can go ahead and change the paint colors, then we'll, we'll get it, then, then life's going to be a little bit better. And then you get that done, and you're like, you know what? I need a garage. And if I can go ahead and just get a garage and a place where I put my car and then, and then I don't have to worry about the rain and my car, you know, then you get your garage and you're like, you know what? I don't like my driveway. I, I think at the end of the day, we get unhappy. And it's, 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 we know ultimately these things aren't going to make our life better. But I think it's just feeling like 
It's the pursuit of trying to make life better is really what we're trying to do. And at the end of the day, everything we need is in, in Christ. Everything. I'm not saying don't remodel your house. But I've been stuck on that trap of constant renovation all the time. All the time trying to renovate, trying to change something, make it a little bit better. But at the end of the day, all I really need to renovate is this. That's it. Those lies I've latched onto, and the Holy Spirit's trying to pry them suckers out. So look, I want to release you from this. So you can try find true peace in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Father, I could come and share my heart with personal things in myself that just I know I've been angry with you about and upset with you about. But Lord, I'm so thankful that you're patient. You're a good dad. And even times you've brought correction in my life and in my experience, I know that it's always been to try to improve and help me to understand and make change in my experience and how I view you. And Father, I don't know what parts of this lesson, only the Spirit of God, only your Spirit knows of maybe one truth or a few things that may have found its home and brought some revelation. But Lord, I pray that that is what has happened. I'm thankful, no, I don't even need to know for sure that it did happen. That my value and my importance and my gifting is just, just to teach and to be able to preach and to be able to exhort what you've done in my own Christian experience. I'm thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful for this body of believers. I've never in any of my church experience been surrounded with so much love that I've found here at Pure Grace and even the people that we've had at, at Gospel Life Fellowship. I'm thankful to be able to share life with them. And Lord, I can't help but look beyond these walls and see a world of need. And Lord, I believe you're facilitating some things here that's going to help us to be able to bring that life and help people get beyond trying to live from the creation that they began to understand the Creator and what you have to offer. And Lord, we just pray for Brother Justin. We pray that you will touch his, his, uh, his infirmities now, Lord, and we pray that you will heal him. And Father, we just pray for those that are on the mission field and the experiences they've had. And Lord, we pray for safe travel. But Lord, we know that in whatever may happen, Lord, we know and we accept that you're our dad and you're our father and you know what's best. And we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, two minutes to spare, 11.58. Amen. So do y'all... Yes, sir. Good deal. Awesome. So do y'all want me to tell you the story about my friend that's getting shot? All right. I can do it one minute. He got shot. Ambulance came. They took him. He lived. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. No, all right. All right. Well, I'll give you the condensed version of it. So anyway... In Chicago, you know, we, we, visit, we had a large bus. We ran probably about 400 buses. I think we would bus in about 5,000 people on Sunday, but we all kind of had our own little re regions that we would visit. 
And we had some kids that moved from northern Chicago to southern Chicago. So it was a complete different region. And that region, three blocks away, it's completely different, you know, than it is here. But anyway, so we were, we, we were visiting some kids that had moved. And I had a, a, a dark blue uh, Jimmy that I would drive. And it was, there was five of us in, in there. It was, uh, it was uh, a guy named Steve Bradbury. He was driving. I was in the passenger seat. And then we had another guy named John Quotso, Dustin Hunt. They were sitting behind. And we had another guy named Jimmy Vogel. And he was actually sitting in the very, very back, like in the hatchback area. Because we were in college and we, you know, we were always tired. He was kind of resting back there. But anyway, so we were going to a part of town we weren't really familiar with. And, and I remember Steve was driving. He said there was a car, like, on his tail real bad. You know what I mean? And he kind of brake-checked him just a little bit, trying to get him off his tail. Well, we came up to a stop sign, and we, we proceeded to make a left-hand turn. Well, these guys pulled forward, pulled a 45 Magnum, and shot three rounds into the truck. Well, the first one hit the tailgate. The second one hit the glass, hit Jimmy right here by his ear, and it came out in his face right here, went through his seat, and then went through the coat collar of another guy, Dustin, that was sitting in front of him. And so, so anyway, we stopped, and is everybody okay? You know what I mean? And then, lo and behold, Jimmy, we, you know, we saw that he was shot. So I, I grabbed him and, and, and just kind of administered first aid, you know, to him, trying to stop the bleeding until the police got there, and they loaded him in the, into, the, uh, into the ambulance and took him. And by the time we actually got left the scene and got to the hospital, there was probably already about 40 people there, you know, praying for him. So... Luckily, he's lived, and I still correspond with him just a little bit, but from the time he got shot till the end, it was almost kind of a blur. It may have been 30 minutes or a half hour, but lo and behold, he didn't, he didn't suffer any, uh, what's that? 30 minutes or Yeah, 30 minutes, half hour, whatever. So I'm glad you got something out of this story. So, all right. So, but... Anyway, so, but the good thing is, is he doesn't, he, he didn't, uh, they didn't even have to do surgery on him. He didn't suffer, I mean, to be able to take a headshot with a forty-five Magnum that hit a window first, uh, and it was just, it was a miracle, really, uh, all the way around. And one of those situations, like, God, what, why? You know what I'm saying? We, were, we weren't there, and then the detective said, well, it's because of your car color, and this is a Latin King area, and you look like this group, and I'm like, we're a bunch of white guys wearing ties, you know what I mean? But either way, God knows, but yeah, it's the break check, that's what it was. So we love you guys, and uh, y'all have a good week.